Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will certainly disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on our show, we have Alyssa Alchokachi. Alyssa is an award-winning hospice and palliative care nurse, a fellow in thanatology, and an award-winning author of four books to help with loss and grief. She teaches a Life After Life graduate seminar on near-death studies at Hood College in Frederick, Maryland, and has worked in the hospice field for over 24 years. Her most recent books, Miraculous Moments and Our Children Live On, are filled with numerous accounts of after-death communication, nearing death awareness, and near-death experiences. Alyssa passionately cares for the dying and the bereaved, and it is clear Alyssa Alchokachi's life is dedicated to bringing comfort, healing, and hope for all. For more information about Alyssa and her books, you can visit her website, which is MiraculousMoments.com, or if you're on Facebook, go to her Facebook page and type in, or go to Facebook and type in Miraculous Moments. So Alyssa Alchokachi, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so very much, Sandra. It's a joy to be here with you. Yes, it is a joy to be here with you. And to our listener, you know, usually at the beginning of the show, I say, well, Alyssa, where are you from? Where are you talking to us from? And... Um, you want to you want to just share, and then I can share where I am. <laughs> yeah, well, I live in Amesbury, Massachusetts, and I live in Byfield, Massachusetts. And just before I called Alyssa, we found out uh, Amesbury and Byfield are maybe ten minutes apart, so we are neighbors, <laughs> and I love it. And we both looked at each other's pictures. It's like I know you, so maybe it's from the grocery store. I don't know, but I think this is just the beginning of a a good relationship. For sure. I do. Alyssa, tell us a little bit about you because, oh gosh, maybe even just way back at the beginning, because I know as kids, sometimes things happen and it, it sets us in the direction we want to go. But I mean, it, it, I think it takes a very, very special person to do what you're, you're doing as far as career wise and maybe a little bit about your past and how you got into this. Well, I, I love work uh, as a hospice nurse mm-hmm. because I really feel that it's probably the area we can impact people the greatest in the sense of actually seeing the difference of of what you do in their lives. And it's not about like, we, we know they're going to pass. Mm-hmm. However, our goal is to maximize the quality of their time here until they do. And so it's helping them in lots of different ways. You know, some of it is like physical, you know, uh, medications or, you know, symptom management or whatever. But there's also this spiritual piece. Mm -hmm. And I love that about hospice. Hospice is very holistic. So it's part of my job as a hospice nurse to address that spiritual side when it is needed. And so... We'll just say that's what I love about mm-hmm. hospice in particular. Right. Now, I would say it was really a personal experience I had that absolutely convinced me beyond anything I know in this world that there is life after death. And this happened to me when I was 23 years old. 
I was a brand new nurse mm -hmm. and my eldest cousin who I grew up with, um, Stefan was, um, I actually grew up with them. I mean, I lived with them. My cousin, my brother and I lived with them in Knoxville, Tennessee for nine years. And he was tragically killed in a car accident. And what happened with him and me two weeks later is what convinced me. What happened? So what I want to say is he came to visit me. And it was in the early morning hours. I wasn't quite awake. I wasn't, I wasn't asleep. Um, but it was more real than anything I know. I can tell you 100% it was not a dream because the colors in the experience were brighter than anything in this reality. The emotions that I felt were intensified like way, way, way more. So like if I was sad, I was almost in despair. Or if I was happy, I was like jumping over the moon with ecstasy. So I pivoted between the highs and lows of emotion, which doesn't normally happen in my, in my everyday life. But, and then I can as clearly remember it today. And now it's been like 38 years. I can still as clearly remember this experience today as when it happened back then. So the experience started when I was, you know, uh, actually in the woods and we grew up, uh, you know, we played in the woods a lot. And um, so the experience starts out, I'm by myself in the woods and I'm, and I'm looking all around and the leaves are like so brilliant green beyond what you can imagine. And, uh, and I'm like looking at them in awe. And there is this uh, dirt road, overgrown dirt road that's uh, running in front of me. And I, I glimpse something's coming to me from the right. So I look over to my right and down comes the road uh, on this dirt road through the woods is this brilliant, stark, white unicorn. Now you're going to say unicorns are not real. Right. Doesn't matter. This is what I thought too. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. To myself in the experience. I'm saying, wait a minute, unicorns are <laughs> yeah. real. This is not real. But this unicorn runs right past me so close that I um I probably could have touched it mm -hmm. if I uh, had reached out. But it whisks right by me and goes, uh, you know, from the right to the left and off down the woods. And so I said, well, they, they must be real because there it is. And when I talk about white, I'm talking about like luminescent, like it's shimmering mm -hmm. beyond white. It's just, there's these, this was the colors in this experience, which are not in our normal drab everyday reality. Right. Correct. <laughs> so I, I go running down this dirt path, you know, after the unicorn and eventually the unicorn brings me to the edge of the woods, interestingly, next to the field, next to the house where I grew up mm -hmm. with Stefan. Now, by now the unicorn has, uh, cause he was obviously galloping. I was running. I was not going to catch up with, catch up with him, but he, he had, uh, already gotten to the other side of the field by the time I got to the, the beginning of it. And I knew I wasn't going to catch him. And over to the right side is our childhood home, but like a hundred feet in front of me, straight in front of me is my cousin, Stefan. Hmm. And I cannot believe my eyes because he had died, but yet there he was. Right. So I go like tearing across his field as fast as I possibly can. And I run up to him. 
and I grab him and I hug him. And I'm just like saying over and over, I'm like, oh my God, Stefan, you're alive. You're alive. You're alive. And, and, you know, he said, of course I'm alive, Alyssa. <laughs> you know, of course I'm alive. And, and the other thing is I could physically feel him in my arms. Mm -hmm. And when do you like feel in a dream? I mean, but I, he, I, I fully embraced him. And just to give you a visual, like I'm five, two, and my cousin is six, two. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking, we're hugging each other. I'm looking up at him and he's looking down at me, you know, and just hugging and loving every minute. I didn't want to let him go. But then all of a sudden I remembered that my cousin was in that car accident he had when he, he actually had 95% burns of his body from that accident. And you know what? As a nurse, I did a rotation through Shriners Burn Institute in Boston for children. And I remember just those dressing changes for those poor little kids. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, Alyssa, how could you forgot he was how could you have forgotten he was burned? Mm -hmm. And I, you've just squeezed the daylights out of him. Like, what the heck have you done? Right. So now I think I've hurt him. So my tears of joy go to tears of shame. Yeah. And now I'm apologizing. I'm like, Stefan, Stefan, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. And he's just looking down at me, smiling. And he's like, Alyssa, it's all right. I don't hurt anymore and i was like whoa you know he's alive he's totally healed and you know the look on his face is one of such peace and such love and, and joy just beautiful i mean incredible and i'm looking at him and as i'm looking at this i, I see all those qualities but there's something else that's different and and i said Stefan, I said, where are your glasses? Because we all wore glasses, mm -hmm. all my cousins and I and brother. And he goes, Alyssa, I don't need glasses. I can see. I'm like, oh my God, he's alive. He's totally healed and he's got 20-20 vision. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, Stefan. Wait a minute. And I step back and suddenly this camera appears in my right hand. I said, Stefan, I said, I just want to take a, a picture because I want to remember this moment for all of eternity. And so, you know, eventually he finally agrees to let me take his picture and I go to snap the picture. And then the whole ex dreamlike experience ended. That whole sequence it wasn't a dream, but that experience ended. And of course it ended because Kodak paper, which is what we had back in those days, right? Kodak paper could have never captured the spiritual significance of what happened to me with Stefan. Because when I came to my full awareness, my full consciousness, I knew to my core that my cousin was alive, totally healed, happier, and more at peace than I ever knew him in this life. And it healed my grief. And a dream doesn't heal your grief. But to my core, I knew he was alive. And so that was, I was 23 years old. I didn't find myself working as a hospice nurse until like I was 33, mm -hmm. 34. And that's when I really felt like the huge impact because now I could go into homes and help patients who were given a life-limiting illness or their, their caregivers who are facing this loss of this most precious person in their life and be able to be fully present 
Like, they're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be totally healed and better than you ever knew. That is, that is such good news. Um, you know, when you, when you're telling your story, I have interviewed a lot of people that have had near death experiences and they say that the memory of it and same thing about wherever it was that you went or, mm-hmm. you know, cosmic consciousness or whatever it is, is there's colors you haven't seen before. Everything's vibrant, everything's alive. And you remember it even clearer than any memory you've ever had. It stays strong. And yours sounds like the same. It feels like it when I talk about the near-death experience, what people people go through and how it ch- transforms their life, this definitely was life-changing. It was life-changing because I saw him. I felt him. He was healed. You know, I just I just thought about something in my own life. It's so easy to forget some things, but I, I had taken a just a little nap one day, and um, and I was still awake, and I knew I was awake, and I felt like I was gosh, kind of sinking into my bed. And next thing you know, I felt like I was spinning a little bit. And like all of these gold, beautiful lights appeared. And I heard unbelievable like um, piano music. And my grandmother's face showed up like as real. And and I just I reached out and I kissed her. And then I think I kind of shocked myself like, I'm not asleep. I'm still here in the bed. And then all of a sudden it was gone, but it was so freaking real. I mean, it was like, and I, and it, and it spooked me in a good way, but it's like, what the heck was that? Where, where did I go? Like what, you know? And, um, I don't know. You just told that story. And I remember that I'm like that, that was real. No one can ever tell me I was asleep and experienced that. No way. Wow. And was it in the early morning hours? Um, I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, well, it wasn't too early, but I mean, it was, um, you know, when you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm going to sleep a little bit more. And yes, yeah, I think it was like that. So I think you were in the theta state and we we can access the different realms in that state, which is what you did and what I did. Mm, We'll have to talk more about that. (laughs) Very cool. So, uh, so then after that experience, and so you were a nurse at that time? Are you going? You I was actually an operating room nurse at the time. Okay. So that's far, farthest and certainly not <laughs> hospice. No. But, um, you know, again, you kind of put it, you know, you kind of keep going on with your life. And and then lots of things have happened over the years yep. that, that confirmed it. So I would say when I went into hospice and I felt the need of people, to, desperate need to know that their loved ones were going to be okay, um, I couldn't obviously share it with everybody. I couldn't share with many people actually what happened with me because the time has to be right. Number one, their belief system has to be right. You have to have the time, you know. And you start talking about unicorns. I'm like, oh yeah, my God. <laughs> Sorry. That's but, just but where my mind. Like, well, no. I also had, you know, there were lots of responsibilities mm-hmm. that I had. And of course. so God would just absolutely orchestrate me where yeah. I needed to be. For, and and I would feel an inner prompting. I would know when I was called to say something to a particular family mm-hmm. member or right. patient, but usually the family member. And uh, and then if I followed that in, inner knowing, that inner that intuition, yep. then I would find out that because I went out on a limb and said something, they might turn around and share something with me that 
perhaps they never told another person on the planet. Oh, what a gift that is. No one else. And the only reason they shared it with me is because they knew I was going out and I would not criticize them or judge them in any way. So that's, you know, in those early days, this was in the 90s when this was happening. Mm-hmm. And and I remember thinking, wow, you know, God put me at the right place at the right time. And I thought it was a rare experience in the early 90s. Okay. And uh, but what I have found out as I've gone on, the more I've talked with people, do you I would say that the majority of people have either had a, a personal experience with someone who has passed over or know someone who has. Right. I agree with that. I agree with that. Ever since my book came out, I had the guts now to say, I'm an author. Even your your story of talking to people in hospice, it's not for everybody. I've been sitting on airplanes. People ask me what I do. And my day job is I'm a chef for race car teams. And I travel. <laughs> and so that's my, you know, usual thing. And then that little voice comes in and says, tell them about the book you know and then I'm like and I'm an author and then people say or, or they don't well what'd you write and then I tell them the title and then sometimes I get these looks and someone just lost a close relative a few days before that or something and it's just you know you, ha- you do have to listen to that voice that intuition when it comes and when you tell something about yourself that's so personal it really does uh, provide an opening for someone else to be able to trust and to share and what a beautiful bond that that creates for sure and i would call what you what you were talking about here you are sitting on the airplane next to that person who's just lost that loved one you call it divine orchestration mm. like god knows who needs to connect with you with me with all those people who can give them hope help them get through and and maybe it's the angels on the other side their angels, our angels, who knows, but knows that there's something that we have to offer. And I'm sure they offer us uh, by the opportunity to be able to share what we do. And I just want to share this with you and our listener. You don't have to be a published author to be able to bear your soul and have somebody respond. I mean, long before I even wrote the book, sometimes, you know, just when you share some personal stuff about yourself or what you love, I mean, it, it allows people to share their stuff and and the next thing you know um you some out of your mouth can come some of the best advice that can really change somebody's life and vice versa so mm-hmm. um yeah i think we all live life thinking we're not special but you know what we are and we all have a lot of uh smarts and wisdom and stuff so how about some of these stories of some of the things that you've witnessed well, um, that's given you more reassurance that we don't die and and that you're on the right track Well, I'd also like to just mention something that I discovered in hospice Mm -hmm. is that, do you know that it is common for someone who is dying to be visited by deceased loved ones in the last days or weeks of life? I've heard that. Yes. It's quite fascinating. You could walk into a room, no one else is in the room that you can see anyway. Right. But they could be having a conversation with someone. And it is a it's a two-way conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Et cetera. They they often uh, will speak in symbolic terms, like in metaphors. They'll talk about like, you know, I'm I'm going home, but they don't mean their physical home. They mean their spiritual home. Mm-hmm. Or 
pack my bags, you know, get me ready. You know, I'm, I'm going on a trip or I'm, I'm whatever. So people often, you know, the dying, I really do feel in my heart, enter a heightened spiritual state in those last days or, or weeks of life. And I feel that they have a foot in both worlds. They're partly here, they're partly there, and I think they may even consciousness-wise go back and forth. Because sometimes you walk in and you'll see them kind of jump. And it's like, and they may be a little confused. And see, I think they can see things that we can't see. That's great. I've, I've heard I mean, those stories. Yeah. yeah. And one patient of mine who was really a sweetheart of a lady, great teacher for me, was, well, I actually saw her twice over a period of time. The first time was just a, an ordinary visit. I was uh, doing a visit for another nurse and this lady was still up and about. She had colon cancer, but she was still walking a mile every day because, you know, around the block because she was not going to give in to her cancer. And she was feisty and fun. You would have loved her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I just remember to myself, say, remember saying to myself, oh, yeah, I'm going to remember her. She just, she's what I want to be. You know, it's my turn. I just want to be like her. I'm not giving in. Right. And then, but, you know, time passes, we'll just say six months, nine months. I'm not exactly sure how, how long it was, but now I'm on call for hospice and I get a call from one of her two daughters and says, can you please come check my, you know, our, my mom, our mom, because she seems a little distant. And uh, so I go and, and now this is a very different lady, you know, than, than what I saw. And now she's bed bound. She's in a hospital bed, but she's very peaceful looking, which is not to say that not everyone is, but she has an unusual quality about peacefulness about her that I haven't often seen. So then I go in and I ask her questions and we'll, I'm calling her Eleanor, just that's not her real name. But, you know, I said, Eleanor, um, you know, you know, uh, you having any pain? And she's like, no. And she just says a smile is, you know, any, any, any concerns? No. And, you know, I check her vital signs and everything's okay. I mean, I, every, nothing's telling me she's going to die, mm-hmm. you know tonight, you know, she's, you know, but she's definitely in a, a different place. Uh, and one of the things that the dying uh, do do is they kind of separate from this reality. It isn't a conscious decision. They start, it's more of an inner journey that they take. Mm-hmm. And so they start, it doesn't mean that they don't love those loved ones around them. They surely do, but it's now they're preparing. And um, so they, yeah, they're not interested in w- watching the TV or reading the newspaper anymore or having those conversations. It tends to be a very quiet time. So she didn't offer a lot. You know, she answered my questions and smiled every time, clearly not in any pain at all. And I, you know, went out afterwards, told her daughters that I felt like she was in the beginning stages, the beginning stages of actively dying and did the preparation I needed to do with them and then went back one more time to her. And one thing I just my own little personal thing is before I leave a home, I like to know that I've I've done something to make it better there for that patient. Mm-hmm. But this woman didn't need any intervention on my part. She was perfectly calm and <laughs> comfortable. But uh, yeah, and I knew I had prepared her daughters, which was so important. But still, so I come back to, you know, are you, are you, you know, do you have any pain? And she says, no. And I said, are you, you know, I said, uh, are you a, 
afraid at all? And I mean, I don't always go here, but there was really nothing for me to do. And I said, are you afraid at all? And she said, no. And I said, and I, and I never had said it before and I never had said it, have said it since. But in this particular situation, this is one of those where I follow my inner prompting, right? Yeah. So I said, um, well, if you ever do get afraid, I said, just look for the light. And she says, oh, I, I do. <laughs> oh. And I said, you do? And she says, all the time. And so her daughters had, you know, remember that her daughters had told me she was in this state for like two or three days, this very distant state. So I said, Eleanor, I said, what does the light feel like? She said, it's very warm and comforting. And it lets me know there's nothing I have to worry about. Wow. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and, and I said, Eleanor, I said, what is the light? She says, for me or for you? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, for you, of course. She said, it's God's love for me. Wow. I, I'm just having flashbacks to so many people that have told stories of near-death experiences. Again, just this feeling of unconditional love yes. and the light. And I, I just had this image of, you know, when it's our turn, just however old we are, just seeing a light and just being kind of wrapped in the arms of that, if you want to call it God's love, just how yeah there's no fear there that's just there was no fear and she smiled her eyes sparkled she was peaceful she'd been peaceful i mean wouldn't it be something if if everybody knew that you know there's nothing to be afraid of oh yeah that would be awesome (laughs) (laughs) that would be awesome and i think that's one of the reasons that i'm passionate about talking to so many people and interviewing people like yourself is to take away some of that fear yes because the more stories we hear the more it's like you know what this this is real i you know can't listen to the little voice in my head that's saying you know this is crazy stuff this is real it's so real it's so real and the more we talk as you know the more you learn don't you like everywhere you go and you some you you open up and they tell you something and it's like one more oh yes thank you i just keep saying thank you god thank you god thank you god because it's one more affirmation it's yeah. one more affirmation you talk to the people who've had the near death experiences right their lives as you said are changed they're changed forever and they know they lose their fear of death. Now, if anybody ought to be afraid of death, the people who died, it's like heart stopped, the breathing stopped. If there was a reason to be afraid, but they're they're just like transformed by that experience they had of, of being bathed in that, as you said, unconditional, but unlimited love. Yeah. Just love beyond our wildest dreams. No judgment ever, ever. 
just complete acceptance. I remember this one gentleman who told me that, and, and he was a biker and who had had a, a near-death experience. And, and he said, when he got over there, he said, it was like everything was perfect. He said, now there were all these people around me. I didn't know them, who they were, but I knew that I knew them. He said, it was like you were the best day of your life with all your best friends out. Everything was perfect. The temperature was perfect. You couldn't have asked for a more, just a, a perfect. He couldn't even get beyond the perfection of the moment. It was like your best possible moment day ever in all your whole life. That's what it felt like the whole time you're over there. I love that. Another thing I thought was interesting about what he had to say was mm. he was a biker and, you know, he'd gone through some different, uh, actually a hell's angel. It's a tough it's guy. Yeah. Mm. He's a tough guy. And he said, you know, all my life, he says, I, I would say, you know, God, you know, wait till I get to the other side. I got some questions to ask you. I got questions to ask you. So he said, when he's on the other side, he said, I, I was over there and he said, I didn't have any more questions because I already knew the answers. Wow. The questions were gone. Because on that side, you are in all awareness. You are in a heightened understanding. Do you have any insight from any of your research um, or just intuitive on the, uh, the word suffering? I, I'm seeing, and I know I, you've seen many people die. I only was with my dad and there was huge amounts of suffering and I know there are people listening right now that are watching people suffer and um, any divine reasoning or anything you can shed a light on because this all sounds well and good but sometimes the exit is incredibly painful well then you may not, but I, I just... I, I just want to say to make sure, and I'm sorry that your dad suffered, and I am so sorry that there are so many family members that uh, do see loved ones suffering, because those memories are hard to let go of. Mm. But uh, number one, I would just, I mean, I don't know what your dad was going through in particular, but I, I would say make sure you're in the hands of uh, experts to help minimize any suffering that might be there. So make sure you're with, you know, a hospice, hospice yep. pain experts. I don't know if that's what your dad was going through. There's lots of ways to make people comfortable. And I think people are reluctant to, to come on board to hospice because they feel like they're giving up hope. But our focus is to, like I said, really maximize that time here on earth. So get them as comfortable as they can be. Now, some uh, in rare situations, we we can't get them comfortable, and and that's as hard. It's hard on us because we want to make it better for them. Right. But uh, just make sure that I also believe that make sure that your doctor is one who really hears and listens and doesn't have a problem with giving offering pain medication. I mean, hospice will advocate for you on your behalf. Um, we we really want to give you whatever it is that's going to make you comfortable. You know, there is not, there's no such thing as too much medication. Obviously, you're not going to, you're not going to get from A to, you know, huge amounts overnight, but we, everything is, is really actually calculated based on, okay, you're using this much. Okay. Okay. Now you need this many, this much more. Okay. We're going to, you know, figure it out. Each time we do a bump, it's a mathematical calculation in pain medication until we finally get 
Uh, and sometimes it's a combination of medications. So I, I, I don't have a, I wish I had a magic bullet for oh, you. Oh, so do I. Yeah, but you don't. And and I think, too, I, oh, gosh, I don't even want to say say this like this, but everybody's got their own views and their own belief systems. And my dad was uh, extremely Catholic. And I just, and he, all he wanted to do was Jesus's work. And there's a, a part in the Bible that has something to do with suffering. And the more you suffer, the closer you'll sit by Jesus's side or something like that. And so just intuitively, I just kept reading it to my dad. And, you know, that's the only way I could, I could make sense of it. And, and he was one that they kept bumping up the, the pain medication until, um, they did. He, yeah. Until uh-huh. so he was out. Dad. Yeah. So, uh, there are some, you know, Eastern traditions that believe that su- suffering is really the burning of karma. Oh. When you su- suffer, you're actually burning off karma from the past. So it's really a blessing okay. to suffer. Wow. <laughs> I've asked so many people that question and I like yours the best. I <laughs> <laughs> really do believe it. You really do believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh. and, and again, you know, there's so many people with so many stories and who's right who's wrong and i think for each one of us that you really have to look inside and what resonates and and um anyone who's listened to one of my episodes here it's really about getting some really great evidence that you will survive death like you go on but also like how can you be empowered to live your life now you know so i don't live a life like of blaming the doctors are blaming suffering you know because truth is without dad going the way he did I would have never done my research on grief and afterlife things and had the book and be talking to you right now so and um, so you see, yeah. there, there there was purpose in your father's suffering wasn't there now there, there definitely was there definitely was so there is divine orchestration with that and your dad that was a gift that your dad gave you that was a final gift yeah, and I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When we look back on some of the most painful things that have happened in our life, you know, you can certainly be a victim or you can look to see where you've grown or now you've got some tools that you can help someone else who's gone through it. So uh, sometimes you can bless the, the the bad things that have happened. Alyssa, I want to ask you a little bit about your books that you have because you've, you've got four of them, I see. You could mm-hmm. have more than that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, even just the titles, uh, The Angel with the Golden Glow, A Family's Journey Through Loss and Healing. Actually inspired by a little child that I cared for uh, as, a, as a hospice nurse. Mm-hmm. And this story was given to me. This little angel came shortly after he passed, and I watched that story happen. What do you mean? I don't want to give away the book, but... I know. Well, it's an illustrated <laughs> children's book, but it's it's a story that starts in heaven and ends in heaven. Oh. And so it's about two best friends. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say a whole lot. But no, no, you don't have this to. Little, this little child comes with a healing gift to earth, and he knows before he comes that he will only be here for a short time, but he brings a gift of healing. Well, or his family. And that's beautiful because so often there's children that are lost and to try to make sense of that um, is very, very difficult 
as as well as we can say positive things and um you know when you're actually going through the grief of losing a child so that's awesome and then now more about children you have our children live on miraculous moments for the bereaved mm-hmm. so uh that is uh mostly parents experiences of their children after they've died their firsthand experiences they author their stories I think there's about 75 stories in there. Um, How'd you go about collecting those? The journey of life, like those people that you talk to on the airplane. (laughs) Yeah. But but not just that. Honestly, uh, the angel book brought me in touch with a lot of uh, families who had had amazing experiences with their children after they died. I put in the back of the book that I was was working on another book. Honestly, the angel with the golden glow kind of happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miraculous moments, which our children live on, is is like the companion book to that. The, the two would have been one book, except that I had too many stories, and the publisher, which was Llewellyn uh, Worldwide, the publisher had me divided into two books. Yeah, so Miraculous Moments came first, true stories mm-hmm. affirming that life goes on. Mm-hmm. So that and our children live on, both of them, have lots of stories of after-death communication, uh, a few, you know, some stories of nearing death awareness, that that heightened spiritual state that the dying enter, you know, before they pass, and then also near-death experiences, people who have died, been brought back to life, and uh, tell you what happened on the other side. So the difference between the two books is our children live on is mostly. Uh, told by bereaved parents, some siblings, some healthcare professionals, you know, what have you. Um, but it could be not just a little child. It could, and there's actually four stories in there that have to do with miscarriage, experiences that the moms had after they miscarried. Really? Yeah. And um, but all different ages, even up to the loss of an adult daughter who died of breast cancer. You know, there's all different. And then we know there's lots of, uh, you know, lots of family families lose children to sudden death, whether it's, you know, drug overdose or suicide or a car accident. So lots of stories to support those families and, and the journeys that these parents went through to help them. Some share a little, some share how they got through it. Yeah, how about in the the world of suicide? Because that's that's a tough one, and I, we'd all like to believe that there's no punishment for suicide, and it's um, that. Yeah. Any words of wisdom on if someone has lost a child to suicide? Well, that they can still be around in their lives, and these parents are are telling you that. And and honestly, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about your dad physically suffering be, be, before he died. Uh-huh. But surely these parents who have lost children to suicide and the families suffer so much after the suicide. Definitely. Because there's always this question of what did I miss? Did I, could I have done something? You know, should I have acted sooner or, you know, whatever. And there's always this, and why, why? You know, and, and, and clearly that soul, you know, found that suffering on this earth plane was was too much to bear they just it was too much for them to bear for whatever reason and um and sometimes just like your dad led you to uh what your work is right now i really sometimes feel like you know these parents in their desperate 
search to find wholeness again, to find peace in their hearts, if it's at all possible ever, you know, will lead them to finally connecting with their child in a new way. And, and you know, there's, um, there's a great book, and you may have never heard of this book, but I, I, I feel it's very helpful for families who've experienced um, the child um, who took his life from suicide. And the recommendation was given to me by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross through one of her newsletters mm -hmm. years ago. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the Swiss psychiatrist who very much uh, raised awareness about the needs of the dying in the in, in um, the 60s, right. 60s, 70s, you know. And anyway, Elizabeth recommended this book, and it's called Stephen Lives. And it's written by Anne Puryear, P-U-R-Y-E-A-R. -E and it talks about this mom's struggle with the loss of her son. I think he was 15 or 16 when he took his life. And... Um, and how she gets through it. And there's notes that he's left. And, and anyway, she ends up communicating with him, uh, learning through her meditation how to connect with him. And, and the story goes on. And it's been a pretty powerful agent to help families walk that journey. That's great. Walk that journey. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I've not heard of that. And I, I do know from everyone that I've talked to and interviewed and mediums and there's no punishment of any kind no every you know that you believe in i don't want to say god or jesus because not everyone believes in those terminologies but there there is only good i i believe and from what i've heard as well and everybody gets this unconditional love and you know it's pretty messy being a human being some people have bad vision and health issues and you know the the issues of the mind are very real you know um that. But remember, everything, I think that there's a lesson and a blessing in every experience. So it's up to us to figure out what is it that we need to learn through the experience so we can move on. What's the gift in that experience? Even through suffering, there's a gift. Like, look at the gift that you received right. through sharing that suffering with your dad. And look at the um, amazing difference you're making in the world for the in the lives of all these people. Same thing with the little baby that I cared for that inspired, you know, the angel with the golden glow. Yes, that was so difficult for the family at the time, but he has touched thousands of families, helping them through their journey. Yeah. Alyssa, so purpose. Yeah. I, I've believed in life after death for a, a while. And when dad died, you know, the grief was so horrific. And I actually, I mean, it took almost four years and I wasn't in intense grief that whole time but it, it took like years before I actually felt like Sandra again like I actually felt like whatever this dark cloud was was lifted and I don't I mean a lot sounds good like what's the gift in this situation but I I know people that have been absolutely stuck in their grief and um kind of can't get through it do you have any any advice, you know, because when you're in the thick of grief, sometimes, yes, I mean, I know for a fact from so many of the listeners and readers of my book that just believing in life after death certainly does help. But there is a dynamic of the, the pain that we're feeling that it's hard to move through. So any, any advice? Well, first off, you know, grief is real and tangible 
and even physical in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody grieves in different ways. Uh, and it really depends on that, not only the uniqueness of that individual, but the type of loss they had, you know, was it a young person, an old person? Was it a tragic loss? Was it a sudden death? Was it a whatever? There's so many things that factor, but still it's a loss. Right. And um, so we have to we have to process our pain. We have to move through the pain. We have to allow the pain, experience it, you know, find those things that are going to help support you through that to heal, to get to the other side of it. I, I really feel that um, even getting body work is really helpful, like polarity therapy or, um, you know, massage or you know, do, do more than, um, than just talking. Uh, you could get flower essences could help you, you know, uh, move through grief. There's lots of things, but I, I find doing one, two or three things simultaneously helps you move through things quicker. Um, also, we are when we lose someone, we're we're in the mindset that they're gone. Yes, big time. And and the truth is, they aren't. They really can still be in our lives. I have this sense that that our loved ones um, want to let us know right away that they're around, but our grief um, separates us from being able to see those subtle things that they're trying to show us. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I, not to say in any way that there's a parallel here, but. Um, you know, when I get a migraine, you know, I, 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 it's just there for five days or whatever. And I just like try to, it's try to dim down my, my, my awareness of the pain. But what happens when I do that is I miss a lot of the world around me because that, that pain is so great. Like I, I miss all the other stuff around me. Well, the same thing, only a way more intensified if you've lost a loved one because your heart is really feeling physical pain. And so you really have to dim down the intensity of that pain so you can survive. And so you've kind of like turned everything down on, you know, just to try to take it a little bit at a time. But what happens is there's there, it's probably your loved ones trying to reach out to you, but they can't get through the grief. Now, the other thing is, is you know, have you ever, you know, as, and I'm sure you remember this, there were times after your dad died that you just started crying out of nowhere. Yes. I know all <laughs> that. Just okay. burst into tears. Yeah. yeah. And now, of course, there's the triggers that we know that. Yeah, Some yeah. Of, Where's your dad or Father's Day or, you know, whatever. Right. The, you know, the time that, that you always picked him up, you know, called him on the telephone and it's that time of the week or the day. But I'm not talking about the triggers. I'm talking about like you're just going on with life and there it is all of a sudden you burst out crying. My sense is that your dad was near. Your dad was trying to reach out to you because you were in a peaceful place and he was trying to let you know, I'm here with you, Sandra. And you recognized his energy near you and you remembered and started to cry and said, Dad, you're not with me. So I offer something to shift that perhaps, just dial it a little bit differently. And instead of saying, Dad, you're not here, 
how about shift it and say, dad, thanks for coming. And I want to share too, just to our listener, because sometimes um, I'm always afraid, you know, my ego kicks in that, oh, geez, there's Sandra asking about herself again and talking about her dad. Well, you know, sometimes I bring up examples because like I want to be the example because I know I'm not the only person who's lost a loved one. So my request is um, if you're judging me right now, just to really look within your own life, because as Alyssa says, um, you know, I don't I don't make a practice, even though I should, of, you know, believing dad's around and talking to him and, and things like that. But um, from what I've heard from so many, you know, there's 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 education to be had on the other side or heaven, whatever you call it. But our loved ones really are only a thought and a heartbeat away. You know, they're they can be there and you can keep that dialogue up. Right. Yeah, and, I, and I do believe they're they're doing things on the other side, but they can be there. I think. Yeah. We- we, we, we think of them and they're here in, in that instant. They can be there in that instant. Mm-hmm. And we can ask for signs and we can, you know, I, I think as hard as it is for us sometimes to communicate with them and listen, you know, it's got to be hard for them to work magic to be able to have a penny appear or, you know, the favorite song that you both shared, hear it on the radio or whatever that may be. So... Um, right. Have a little and compassion for lots of after death communication. We haven't even we didn't even touch on that yet. But yes, you're right. So there's lots of different ways they reach out to us. Yeah. What do you want to share about that, too? I'm just looking well, at the clock. So, and we can so go on what, a are, longer, what are the but... ways that we, that we might, you know, uh-huh. experience them, you know, just ordinary, you know, people? Um, well, I, I think commonly we see our loved ones in dream, in dream time. Now, there's just regular dreams where we're processing our grief or crying. But there's the dreams where you know it's more than a dream. Maybe they come, maybe you're having a really particularly hard day. And, you know, and there they there they suddenly show up to let you know, I'm here with you. I'm here. You're, you're not alone, right? right. Um, they may come with a message that you really needed to hear. Um, they often look uh, younger. Oh, don't you love that? Yeah. Like really like in their prime, you know, and, um, and those are things that wouldn't no, we wouldn't normally even experience. Right. Right. Sometimes we hear, you know, various forms of sound, like perhaps we, you know, hear their voice call out our name or, uh, here was one example, uh, this woman who, uh, was really close to her grandmother and her grandmother had died and she was this an adult woman who was out you know uh on a shopping trip with a, a dear friend and she got and they'd gone shopping and she gets in the and she's in the passenger seat she gets in and she has all these packages and she intentionally didn't put her seatbelt on because she wanted to show her friend who was driving the car oh yeah this is what i got this is what i got right and uh and she didn't put her seatbelt on well she's driving along and then you know, um, all of a sudden, you know, she hears her grandmother's voice, like scream in her head, put your seatbelt on now. Or actually I think she says, for God's sakes, put your seatbelt on now. Uh-huh. And so she quick stops and she jumps and she puts it on. And then lo and behold, there's this, you know, uh, accident that, that proceeds to happen with this, you know, you know, huge tractor trailer truck their car flips like twice over lands upside down 
and she wasn't even hurt. She had her seatbelt on. She I'm shaking my head. You can't see me, but I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. And and that's a really true story. And this, you know, that's an example. I mean, now that's a very dramatic example. Most people don't hear that, but I'm just saying you could hear the voice and that was as clear as a bell and it really saved her life. Right. Um, other things, you know, people might hear a song playing like this, this, maybe it's your song uh, that, that the two of you shared and here it is this special, either you're having a hard time or maybe it's your anniversary and there's your, your anniversary, the song that you danced to at your wedding or sometimes, you know, uh, you know, baby, you know, little ones, maybe they've lost a little baby and maybe their musical toys start playing, yes. you know, that nobody's touching it and there it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I've even had people uh, tell me, uh, this one mom told me that that after her adult daughter, and I think she had died from breast cancer, um, it was like three months before she could really get herself to like clean up her, her place, her apartment, and, and she's over there cleaning it up, and then all of a sudden the blinking light goes on on the, on the answering machine. So she goes to play it. It's her daughter's voice. Wow. And, and the only thing, that's exactly what she said. Wow. Mm -hmm. It was her voice said, wow. <laughs> like you just did. <laughs> there are so many stories and I, I continue to meet people and have people write me. And um, there's a fellow I want to interview whose name is Dave and he's got something called a ghost box. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, and here the guy has got a professional job and it's, it, it's as we hear sometimes um, messages come through the phone, text messages come through, it's, it's something that distorts radio signals and, you know, here's this regular guy who never even believed in this and he'll ask a question and, a, you know, a voice will come through and it's like, so, you know, some things sound crazy, some things, you know, you have to maybe take with a grain of salt like well but once you, you start investigating some of these things there's some real prominent people with um with unbelievable stories and and so you know some of my interviews may be a little weird and some pretty mainstream but if any of these things interest you you know just dig into it i don't think Alyssa, that there's a lot of people that are you know really out sharing it because it's it's a very personal thing. You know, I often were afraid, you know, what will people think if we share that, you know, here we are believing in life after death and pursuing it. But uh, like you, we had said in the beginning, so many more people are open than you would ever imagine. For sure. And, and sure. Ha not having the fear of dying, if we can really get there in our lives, I think will lend to us not having a fear of living, you know? Yes. Well, and if you live as fully as you possibly can during your life, then there's no fear of dying. There shouldn't be a fear of dying because you've done everything you needed to do. Yeah. How about the, um, will we be coming back? Like if we don't do everything we want to do? I believe we will. Yeah, I do too. I believe we will. And, you know, and, and we certainly hear those people who've had the near-death experiences who are, are sent back. There's a few of them who are sent back. They're not given a choice of whether they're going to stay or go. go. Uh, they're said, you are going to go back because you are not done yet. There is still, you have to go back here for your mom or there's still work for you to do. They may come back with the awareness of what they still have left to do on this earth. So I, I believe when we're not, when we're not um, done, we definitely come back to complete that. Yeah. And I, you know, it's so funny because I'll admit this, I'm not great at recycling stuff.
But I do think <laughs> in the whole cosmic space, like we are recycled. Like really, what what would be the point of having a baby just come in for a month? You know, it's like, that's it. That's the only chance you get, you know, no, uh, maybe there's a purpose to it. And then we do it again and we do it again. And I, I, I think there is, I, I, I really believe like we were, we were born in God's perfection, you know, created as perfect, perfect. And we come back, you know, each time, each time to return, to help us return to that perfection. Yeah. Alyssa, our time's coming to an end, but I want you to look down into your soul. What haven't you said? What do you want to say? What, any closing thoughts, any, anything that I haven't asked you that I really should have? Um, well, I just, I just want to say that just, you know, to your, your listeners, please know that your loved ones love you just as much now. Those who've passed over love you just as much now as they ever did. That love is eternal. It does not change because they are not here in the physical with you. They love you forever and it will always be there. So if you need them, just ask, just ask. And even if you don't ask, they will still be there for you in your time of need. Yeah, you just have to trust that. And will we see them again? For sure. hundred percent. hundred percent for sure. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I do. I do. I do. I do. And often we can't listen to the little voice in our head. We have to, you know, keep keep listening to stories. That's why I like this show. I listen to other shows. I read lots of books um, because left to our own devices, you know, it's, it's somebody once said uh, the mind is a terrible place to go alone or something like that, you know, just because we can stew upon the wrong things. We're thinking about the past. We're worried about the future. We're never in the present moment. So, um, put your mind on something that'll make a difference, you know? And if, yeah, go ahead. Isn't it a comforting thought though, to think that your loved ones are there to help you cross, even when you die, you die alone. Yeah. It's really, really, really great. Well, Alyssa, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. You are most welcome. Thank you so very, very much for having me. It was a great pleasure. Yeah. And we're going to have to get together for a yes. cup of coffee or something, <laughs> neighbor, because we, it is so funny that we live so close. It really is funny. Um, and to our listener, thank you yet again or for being here, for taking the time to listen. And if this is the first time you've listened to We Don't Die Radio, I want you to keep listening because you know, there's really been some great interviews. And um, if you want to find out more, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. If you go to We Don't Die radio.com every episode you can go there and download it or press the play button uh, I want to remind you yeah please go to we don't die radio.com and um, I've got all the links to Aly- Alyssa's books there and you can find Alyssa at miraculousmoments.com or go to her Facebook page which is miraculous moments and in closing um, this is Sandra Champlain I do believe with all of my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important and just remember love is all around your loved ones are all around there's a warm welcoming light and unconditional love in those final moments and and not to be afraid of of death um and uh yeah i guess that's all i have to say so thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon 